electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome, Mad Money fans. Jim is off tonight, but we have got a special bonus hour of Fast Money lined up for you. We're counting down to earnings season. Delta's on the clock for tomorrow, and then it's on to the big banks. We'll set the table for the most important earnings season since before the pandemic. And beyond the banks, we'll zero in on tech and the fang trade. Can Apple, Amazon, Meta, and the other tech titans fuel a second-half rebound? Plus, a double-barrel dive into the consumer will serve up the second-half outlook for the restaurant stocks and talk to famed executive Mickey Drexler about the state of retail in the face of so many headwinds. I'm Melissa Lee. This is a special edition of Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq Market Site. Still with us on the desk, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Steve Grasso. We will get right to it now. We've got a full slate of reports coming this week from J.P. Morgan and Citi to Delta and Taiwan Semi. And things get even more heated next week when we hear from the likes of Netflix, Tesla, J&J, and more. So with continued high inflation, a consistently strengthening dollar, and fears of a looming recession, what should investors be listening to when all these companies report? Big question, Guy. I think it's a guidance. It's not necessarily what this quarter was. It's what they see going forward. And specifically, Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan will speak. It'll be interesting to see if he doubles down on the comment about hurricanes that he made a month or so ago or if he backs off a little bit. So for me, it's not necessarily the quarter they're reporting. It's what they're seeing going forward in terms of guidance, Mel. Yeah, Karen? I agree exactly with that. It's sort of like if you had a great quarter, doesn't matter. The street's going to look through. If you had a crappy quarter, you're going to get penalized for that. You're probably going to get penalized for your guidance, which will probably be soft as well. So, you know, it's it's a tough tape for that. And I think that we'll see that phenomenon of competitive. So let's say a target doesn't do or Walmart comes up first. They don't do well. Target will trade down on that. Target comes out and doesn't do well. It will trade down on that again, penalized multiple times for the same thing. Yeah. Tim, and specifically within the guidance, what line items will you be listening for? Yeah, I think it's it's demand side. It's it's top line. And and remember, in, in the numbers we've just gone through or the last earnings season, part of the, the dynamic, especially for Target and Walmart, it was really a margin dynamic. It was where they had to guide down. It was inventory related. Um, but I, I think this is all about demand. The, the guide I want to talk, hear about is where is the consumer? Where is the demand side? Where, where are we? Uh, because that's where companies really need to be pricing. We know about dollar headwinds. We know about margin pressures. Uh, we know about inflation. Uh, we don't know about demand. That's absolutely what we want to see. On some level, it's a lot simpler. Uh, I thought last quarter was a lot more nuanced, especially as we dealt with supply chain meets inflation uh, and inventory, et cetera. 
Yeah, and last quarter there was there was more of a hope that the supply chain issues would straighten themselves out, and here we are, um, you know, this week hearing about more lockdowns in China and whether or not that will actually be extended. Steve, that's not good um, for those sorts of outlooks. Companies will not be rewarded for saying, "Yeah, you know what, things are getting better," and then slam, a lockdown happens, and the supply chain is is tangled again. Yeah, I think it's a. I think you really have to understand where your companies, where your stocks that you own are generating their revenue from. So margins are going to be uh, in question. Uh, supply chains are going to be in question. The dollar is going to be the most in question. And I think it's too early for the dollar to spill through to earnings. So you're gonna to have to pay attention to the guidance, to what they're saying about margins. And those companies that have held their margins are going to be the most profitable and the, and the ones that you want to be buying. Because we've gotten through, hopefully, the thick of a lot of these things. The dollar is the headwind currently. Rates are the headwind currently, but that's subsided. So just pay attention to margins and where they're at for the companies that you own. Yeah. Um, the setup is important, of course, Guy. You know, in the course of this quarter, we're down, what, like 400 or so S&P points. I yeah. mean, the question is, what is the setup going in? Have we priced in a lot of these things? And, of course, within certain sectors, there have been steeper pullbacks than others, and so maybe have priced in a lot more. Oh, I think that's fair, and, and I think that's exactly the right question to ask. And if you go back a couple quarters, I would have said the setup for a Facebook, for example, now Meta, was extraordinary to be long the stock, and then you saw what happened. So... You can get tremendous head fakes in this environment, thinking a stock has sold off 30, 40 percent, that it sets up well, only to see it go down another 10 to 15 percent. So I think that argument, at least for me this quarter, is somewhat out the window. And again, other things to look at, and Karen can speak to this, loan loss provisions. So we're going to start yeah. to hear about that going forward in terms of the health of the consumer and those types of things. So that's just one more thing I'd be looking at. I mean, not too long ago, we were talking about reserve releases mm -hmm. helping the banks, and now it's the opposite that's going on. But have we priced right. that in? I, I think we priced a lot in. I think there's probably still some reserve releases to be had, and when you do that with, the, when you combine that with some loan loss provisions, you get a much a smaller number. But I think that um, it's just going to be about the commentary about the economy, and I think we're going to see net interest income improve, right, as rates have been higher. They're telling you they're going to have better net interest income. Loan growth is going to be good. That's better, better margin stuff. But the question for, for the big money center banks, I do think trading revenue will be down. And I think clearly investment banking revenue will be down. And those things, I hope, are priced in because it's not a shock, right? It, it, so hopefully they're priced in. I like it when banks go into earnings having traded poorly, which it's a bang up <laughs> setup now. Right. They really have traded poorly. All right, Tim. I, I want to be careful with companies that were defensive over the last couple of quarters. I, I don't like valuations in, in a lot of those companies. I also think some of the dynamics that made pharma defensive we've talked about tonight. I do think that there are uh, big hits to some parts of, of their regional uh, sales dynamic, whether it's also dollar pressure. Uh, I think you have to be very careful about what has worked over the last couple of quarters. In terms of what hasn't, obviously, uh, growth names, and we, we've talked about this. Guy, guy references of Facebook. Facebook, not really a growth stock, but certainly categories under uh, a, a, a tech uh, landscape where arguably you should have more growth. And, and I think some of these big cap tech companies are places where you're going to have some defensiveness. I, I don't think we've going to, you know, I don't, I don't think we've 
heard the type of de demand warnings out of Apple and Microsoft that I want to hear before it's all clear. But I think some of the high multiple tech names uh, have endured a lot. It's not necessarily scoop them up with both hands. Uh, the bigger dynamic is consumer staple stocks are not cheap. Pharma companies in some cases are not cheap. And I think that is something you have to be careful of. Steve, why would you be short XLE going into earnings? I mean, this should be the sector that has the best earnings, theoretically. <clears throat> the, yeah, it should. But I think people are looking through that at what, what can be better than this. You know, our earnings, you, you always want to see what's leading and what's lagging. Earnings are a lagging indicator. So it's always a backward looking uh, data point. And w no one's going to argue on this desk that things weren't a perfect setup for energy companies across the board. Where do things go that are better for them going forward? We've already seen commodities crack, so that's going to hit their, their bottom line. So that's why I'd be, I'd be looking through where you see them now and looking for where the puck is going to be. But one last thing, Diamond, Zuckerberg, Musk, and now McDermott, how many other CEOs are going to come out and say macro headwinds are slamming our stocks and the economy? You don't want to be investing in that market. All right. Our next guest is urging investors to watch out for value traps this earnings season. Chris Harvey is the head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, nice to see you. Where are these traps in your view? So these traps are everywhere. And when we talk about value traps, it's your early cyclicals. It's companies trading at two, three, four, five times earnings, not revenues. And you're finding it in autos. You're finding it in home builders. You're finding it in chemicals, in energy and in certain financials. So really across the board. This is a place we would stay away from. If you get a pop in these names, this is, these are names we want to take out and take out of the portfolio. One of the concerns I've had, Chris, is just in terms of credit in the form of high yield, HYG, that's obviously sort of been trading sideways recently, but that's one thing I'm focused on. Is that a concern that credit's sort of the last to go in, in this domino effect of the, of the market? Yeah, credit is a concern. We always watch credit. We watch how it trades. We watch the new issue market. It's wine year to date. The other thing is, if we're right on cyclicals, cyclicals are tied to IG and high yield. If the earnings begin to go down, if there's a D rating, you should see that way on credit. And one, one, one will um, really reinforce the other. And that's not a great situation. Chris, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So we see in cyclicals, right, they have cyclical multiples as well. Low multiples when yeah. things are, are, are bad and actually counterintuitively sometimes higher. How much do you think the E is going in uh, will come, come down so that the PE isn't really what we think it is and the value isn't really what we think it is? Okay, Karen, I, I don't usually talk about stocks and I, I don't want to trip myself up, but today I looked at letter X. It is trading at less than two times earnings. What the market is saying is those earnings in three, six, 12 months are going to be a lot, lot lower. And the multiple that you're really looking at it's probably two, three, four, five times of, of what it is. It's late. Again, I, I can't repeat this enough. It's late in the cycle. These early cyclicals are hard to defend. Earnings are going to be re-rated down. This is a place that we would stay away from. This is a place we want to rotate out of. Chris, I had to do a double take when I read the notes and I saw that your S&P 500 target is 47.15, um, which is quite a ways away from here. Uh, is that yeah. accurate for one? And do we need to? I mean, we we need to see big cap tech um, pull its weight here. So, what sort of earnings yeah. setup are we looking at, whether it be this quarter or the guidance yeah. going forward? 
So, so a couple things, just just on, on the number, and and then I'll get into the, the question. As far as the number, last year we were bull on the street. We were expecting a melt up. This year we came in with third or fourth lowest on the street. We're expecting a 10% pullback. Bear market in a lot of the high flyers that occurred. We just weren't bearish enough, right? Is that number too high? Maybe, possibly. But what we're saying to clients is we think equities. We didn't think you can make money from the long side at the beginning of the year. We do think you can make money to the long side now. And to your point, it's going to be in the growth names. What we're seeing is indiscriminate selling in a lot of the growth names. A lot of these secular growers are now trading at reasonable prices, anywhere from 14 times to 28 times for secular growers. This is where we want to start to put our money. And this is an environment where growth is going to slow down. The economy will probably go into recession and growth is going to work. So this at the margin is where you want to put your dollar. When you think about technology, though, the biggest within these, this big cap tech group is Apple, and that's more of a discretionary stock. So when you talk about a slowdown in the economy and a slowdown in the consumer, doesn't that, right. doesn't that stock get caught up in that? Well, how much of your Apple products really discretionary? You probably have a ton of them. And yes, what we're worried about as far as the consumer is we think a consumer recession is coming. What we've been saying is the consumer's balance sheet is really strong, but close to a quarter of it is tied up in the equity markets. When equities are down 20%, you know, that really weighs on sentiment, that really weighs on consumer discretionary spending and ultimately the economy. The kind of the catchphrase here is the U.S. economy, the equity bait on the U.S. economy has never been higher. But getting back to Apple, a lot of the Apple products, yes, they're somewhat discretionary, but not as much as you think. And at the end of the day, what we want are companies with stable earnings. We want to gravitate to certainty, we think that what we think that's what the market will pay for, and some of those companies are in tech, some of them are in fintech, some are on the consumer side. But what we're seeing again is indiscriminate selling on the growth side. Many of the growth managers I talk to mm-hmm. are having a very difficult time, and what we want to do is we want to capitalize upon that. All right, Chris, good to see you. Thank you, Chris Harvey. Thank you. Of Wells Fargo. All right, so on the one side you have. You know, names like an Apple, which could be caught up in a slowdown in consumer spending. You've got a Google and you've got a Meta, um, whose main source of, of revenue adds um, their track with GDP. So you see the slowdown in GDP, so you slow down in that revenue. But on the other hand, you have very good balance sheets for all of these names. I don't think balance sheets are concerned at all. I think yeah. they've for, many of these companies have been able to fortify themselves over the last few years, and they've done the right thing. It's not about that. It's about what does demand cycle look like, right? And in terms of valuations, what do these companies look like? And in terms of Apple, real quick, I mean, Katie Huberty at Morgan Stanley, I'm not saying she's saying sell Apple by any stretch, but for the first time in a long time, she's been cautious on the name. And a lot of people out there that think Apple's the last shoe to drop, July 26th, I think, they report earnings. I thought the market would rally into Apple earnings, and that would be the next catalyst to take us lower. I'm going to stand by that and think that's going to happen. Yeah, Steve? Yeah, you know, for me, when you look at a bottom, and and I've said this before, it's not when people are selling those growthy names with with exorbitant uh, multiples. It's when they sell their Apple is when you could finally call the bottom. So I don't think we're we're at the bottom in the overall market. But when I look at a stock like Apple down 17%, Google down 21% year-to-date, and then Meta down 51% year-to-date, it just shows you how investor confidence is completely lost with Meta. They're still willing to hold on to Google and Apple, and that's its value at basically any price, and they'll, 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 they'll have a death grip on it. 
But Meta is not something I would still invest in right now. But until we see Apple fade to guys' levels, I don't think we can call a bottom in the, ulti- uh, in the uh, market ultimately. Yeah. Tim, I think you're sort of in that camp. Well, I am. I'm, I'm concerned that we just haven't gotten the demand warning out of mega cap tech. And we've had a, a theme tonight about enterprise spend. And that, that's obviously critical for Microsoft and, and, and certainly for Google and, and for Amazon as you get into their cloud businesses. When I hear Chris say he thinks that consumer recession is coming, I, I don't know how we, we, we get to a place where the market can rally. And, and I don't know how we can get to a place where the market can rally, you know, 25% in the next five and a half months. So um, I, I think the, the, the real key is where you're finding companies that may or may not be out of the throes. I, I actually, look, as you know, as our viewers know, companies like Ford and GM and Disney that, that are uh, very cheap multiples, uh, and at least Disney relative to the last couple of years, are companies that I do think you're adding to here. There's, there's, and if anything, what we've seen is that there's been demand in those names, and we've gotten updates from CEOs recently giving you some sense that, that uh, the demand still exists for their products. So those are the, uh, the places that I think you can be more aggressive in places where I think you've priced in an enormous amount of pain. And then some of the cyclical stuff that's related to reopening. Yeah, the reopening trade. And I still think that uh, banks on some level, but absolutely airlines and some of the transportation and travel and leisure are still places where um, you have not seen these companies price back in uh, their customer base at full steam. Coming up, the real read on retail. Former Gap and J. Crew CEO Mickey Drexler is joining us in a few to give us his take on the space and why you may want to look elsewhere for opportunity. But first, big tech earnings on deck, a lot of uh, names gearing up to report results. So what can you expect? We're breaking down the trades when this special edition of Fast Money returns. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big tech will be front and center this earnings season, but with early warnings from names like Microsoft and Snap, what should we be prepared for? Let's trade it. And the plot thickens because we also basically got the cautionary words from Bill McDermott of Service. Bill McDermott, excuse me, a ServiceNow guy. I think 
to me at least, in terms of valuation, the one you can get your arms around, I'm sure Karen would agree, is Google. I think just on valuation alone, it's a compelling story. Problem, obviously, is ad spend and what's going on in that world. But to me, the key to this whole thing, does Microsoft say they have a demand problem going forward? They warned on currency a month or so ago. Do they warn on demand? That, to me, could be very problematic for the broader market. Karen, how do you think about ad spend in this environment when it comes to Meta and Google? I think it'll be lower. The question is, will it be lower by more or less than the stock is already lowered right. on the anticipation of it? But just one, touching on one thing that Guy said, Microsoft on cloud, if, if what we just heard uh, from Bill McDermott is, is the case, and I have every reason to believe it is, then Microsoft is more levered to the cloud than Google, which also, you know, the number three player. So I'm most comfortable with Google and, and uh, Meta. Yeah. Steve? I'm not comfortable, as I said before, with Meta at all. I don't think they know where they're going. So it's hard for investors to follow. They're still an earnings machine. But I think people are looking through that because they're not sure what the end game is, what the strategy is. And it has not been translated from management so that it's in a coherent, uh, understandable fashion that we could all invest around. Um, Google, um, I would still be a buyer there, although I don't own it. I still own Apple. I'd be there. But I think if you look at these stocks and you know how I look at them based on the February 2020 level and whether or not that's the level or not, doesn't matter. A lot of them are very lofty or very high above that level. Snap is not. But when you look at Snap, TikTok has sucked up all the air in the room. Um, Tim, you said that you want to hear the demand warning from big tech. Let's say that they, a lot of companies come out and they say things are fine. Does that make you feel any better? I, or you just not, don't believe not them? Not really. And, and, well, it's not that I don't believe them, but, but I, I think you rightly pointed and labeled Apple as a consumer discretionary. It's, not, it's, it's certainly not a staples company. It's not really a hardware company. We're arguing very much that, that uh, have for years. And, and I don't think either side of that business, hardware or software or services, uh, are cheap. Guy referenced uh, at least some analyst assessment that the services business is, is going to be under a little bit more pressure. So the valuation just doesn't really make sense. It's, 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 it's the best company in the world. However, so um, it's, it's not like the sky is falling. I, I think their balance sheet is pristine. There's a lot of levers they can pull. Uh, they are going to continue to innovate, but but not here and now. And, and I guess, you know, I look at Microsoft, uh, Karen referenced the cloud business more important. This is a hundred billion uh, plus run rate uh, in cloud. So this is a massive, massive business that grew 29% last year. It's not going to go 29% this year. Um, and I think it's probably going to grow half of that. And, and this is a 50% plus international revenue story that has even more dollar pain ahead of it than they've announced. Meta, perversely, is the one where I think, if anything, on the communication, they've been dialing back the messaging on the spend, and especially as it relates to Metaverse. So I, I, I think we've, we've priced in all the cyclicality uh, in, their, in their digital ad business, of which they are still the juggernaut, and no one's going to really knock them off that mantle. And yes, a lot of this pulling back, but that's massive margin business. So I actually think uh, the, the, the tone around Meta, I don't love it either. I feel the need to put that disclaimer. Don't like the company, don't like the service. Um, uh, but I think the stock has the ability to rally into these numbers or coming out of these numbers. 
You agree with Tim in terms of your dislike for the product guy. I've always disliked. It's such a disdain do for you Facebook. Agree Have you been with on the him? Facebook recently? No, I've never no. been on the Facebook. No, I do agree with him in terms of <laughs> the just. Stock. I think to his point, they've dialed back some of the rhetoric. But again, this stock has not traded well since they've made that pivot. And I mentioned Facebook earlier in terms of that huge move lower. Thought it looked like a complete value into two earnings ago, and then it obviously cascaded lower from there. You can make a very cogent, coherent argument on valuation, but if we were to play the game we play at 5 o'clock, would you rather oh, that Facebook or Google? <laughs> Google at a market multiple with an 18 to 20 percent EPS growth yeah. in front of them, to me, makes the most sense. All right. Coming up, former retail CEO Mickey Drexler will join us to dig into the retail space. Why he says now is not the time to be bullish. His thoughts next. Plus, big bank earnings kick off Thursday, and a top analyst says the group is looking fairly attractive here. He'll break down his call in just a few. Don't go anywhere. Much more on this special edition of Fast Money in two. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to a special hour of Fast Money. The consumer discretionary sector, one of the laggards in the S&P today, down about three quarters of a percent. The group plunging 31 percent this year on slowing consumer demand and a growing inventory glut. Now there's a fear that earnings season could fuel even more trouble for the sector. Let's bring in one of retail's most well-known CEOs, Mickey Drexler. Mickey, of course, ran Gap and J. Crew. He's now the CEO of apparel company Alex Mill. Mickey, great to see you. It's been a while. Thank you, Melissa. Nice to see you. So you say there's no reason to be bullish retail these days. That sounds horrible coming from somebody who is in the industry right now. Why? Well, um, and these are my opinions. Uh, the environment's incredibly difficult. Uh, and what, I, what you see, and I hear that, you know, anecdotally, uh, and we're feeling it a bit over the last week or two, what you're seeing out there is enormous discounts on merchandising, on merchandise, because there's... Um, Inventory gluts, again, from what I hear, and I speak to a lot of people, and I like to study the industry, uh, but uh, I think uh, I'd be concerned. We're very concerned. Uh, in, we have a tiny little business right now that we're very excited about, and it's growing well. But, um, you know, big sales, big discounts. And, you know, today is Amazon Prime Day and Target Dollar Day. And it just reminds people... I think, of the fact that uh, there's a lot on sale. You can buy a lot on sale. And uh, I think it's been a factor over the last few years. It's, uh, it's an issue about why pay full price if I can get it on sale. That plus inflation, which we know about. 
So uh, we're being very defensive about business. Uh, and I think it, right now, I think it's the right thing to do. Vicky, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks so much for being on. Love hearing your thoughts because you're such a, I don't know, been around the industry a long time and know many long cycles. Time. Yeah, many cycles you've seen. But when you think about this one and you think about other cycles that you've been through, how long does it take, do you think, for this to shake out, for the inventory issues to recede and to get back to a more normalized, less promotions and um, more confidence that the consumer will be there? Well, I, I don't really have a crystal ball on that. Uh, my opinion is worth whatever anyone's opinion is. I think the environment in America and the world is as tough as I've seen it. Uh, and I'm not an economist. I'm, I'm not a, an analyst. But uh, what's in the air is very difficult. The pricing is very difficult. The freight, the increase in fabrics. Uh, I look at a lot of retail prices and I'm stunned. And there's really no accident today about uh, no surprise about the huge discounts you're seeing, up to 70% here, there, and everywhere, uh, because I think a lot of people got bullish. I also think uh, post-pandemic, it's been very hard to figure out where to invest your dollars. Um, and I also think the assortments, I always say this, you go into a store today, you go online, there's 50 more items or styles than you need. And we're trying right now, if you look in the back of me, that's our a fall men's uh, collection. It's hard to shop, but, if, you know, go online in the fall. But we've cut back our style counts dramatically. Uh, why? Because the winners win, and then the stragglers cost you plenty of money, uh, and you can't bet every horse in a race. So uh, I don't know when it's going to end. I'm very concerned about everything I see and feel. I'm also thinking that the products out there, that's what drives retail business in the fashion business anyway, or in the apparel business. Uh, products are, are number one, king and queen. Uh, and that takes merchandisers and designers to create that. I don't see a big emphasis on product, my personal opinion. If you go out there, it's hard to shop. Uh, product's not great in a way. Uh, and I think the industry uh, has a lot of senior executives who perhaps don't have the experience. You know, I've been doing this for 110 years, and you get smarter every year. And uh, so I, I think that's a big factor. You can't discount product. You go to a restaurant, you want good food from a good chef. Uh, and we all, in a sense, play the same role. So I feel there's a lot more emphasis on, you know, more of the marketing of social media, uh, which is fine. It's critically important. But start with good product. And that's always the most important thing. I think a lot of people forget that. For a lot of years, Mickey, uh, people have been saying that, uh, you know, certain stores are going to go out of business. There's no room in this environment. Is this going to be the environment that actually shakes out and weeds out some of the weaker players? And I guess I'm, I'm also thinking specifically of a company that you used to run, The Gap. The CEO just stepped down. Is there room in this sort of environment for a company like The Gap? Well, there's room for any company that does it well, uh, that excites the customer, that's innovative, creative, and has great goods. Now, it's not easy uh, in any business. Gap is not immune to uh, the environment that we're in today. 
but it's always about leadership. It's always about intuition with a merchant designer and operating partners and marketing. So, uh, you know, I, I always respected them. I'm friendly with their executive chairman, who's a terrifically wonderful and talented guy, Bobby Martin. And um, he's got a big challenge ahead. Uh, so turning it around, you know, first of all, big is, to me, not great, because it gets so bureaucratic, big corporations. Uh, I always try to keep the jobs I've had small and intimate and micromanaging, and now I, in a very small company. But, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I can't answer what they can do. It can be done, but all the big specialty companies, the big ones, mm-hmm. are all not immune to what's going on. But I always get back. I'm a one-track mind. Have the right goods. Invest in the right way. And and you'll win. So I, th- I think they're up for big challenges, as are many other companies. Mickey, it's always great to get your take. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Nice to... Uh, Thanks a lot, Melissa. Take care. Mickey Drexler um, of uh, now Alex Mill. Um, some of those styles look like they'd be good on Tim Seymour. Um, but Tim, <laughs> in terms of retail, how do you how do you start thinking about uh, you know if there's going to be some sort of shakeout? Maybe some won't weather this inventory glut, supply chain issue, period, as well as others. Those are some good looking fashions behind Mickey. So uh, anytime he wants to outfit me, I'm ready to roll. Um, I I think you have a dynamic where uh, the inventory trends are are well documented. Uh, I think some of the, uh, you know, the the issues on on logistics and ERP and things that are are pushing a lot of these margins lower are things that are also priced in. But I think the consumer uh, and where they are saturated at this point is something we haven't really priced in. But some of these trends that we're talking about and Mickey referenced, I think are particularly difficult for department stores. So as much as I've been bullish on a turnaround at Macy's, it's hard for me to see how that environment gets better for them. Um, the, the good news for retail right now is is the, the king and the queen, to use his terms, are, are probably Nike and Lululemon. And we've gotten recent data points and earnings from them. We got fiscal 4Q from Nike. Uh, they beat, uh, they talked a bit about China and some of those dynamics, but um, it was a neutral guide, which I, I think is a victory. So there are folks that are navigating. And again, the folks that, that have the ability to go DTC, as well as have a retail presence are the ones that are in a better position here. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough place. I think, I think a lot of pull forward has gone through, especially in retail, and that discounting that we're all accustomed to, we're probably getting more of now because of those inventory levels. So just to have Mickey Drexler on, I mean, for some of our viewers don't know, I mean, the gap, he created this gigantic thing out of nothing, and then J. Crew, that catalog business, I mean, just revolutionary, evolutionary. But so to me, it's, you know, there's a shakeout coming, like he said, and that's, you got to look at balance sheets. So a Bed Bath & Beyond, for example, not so good balance sheet. That's where you got to look to see who survives first. That's the first thing to look at. Yeah, Steve, quickly. Yeah, I think that he talks about innovation, and I think what's going to be at the uh, at the center of the hub is going to be AR and VR, augmented and virtual reality. And I think you have to think about on Amazon is a natural fit for that. So they're going to lead again. And uh, one last thing, the retailers that were weak before the pandemic will probably be in your shakeout list. They'll be the ones to fail. Coming up, check out all the financials getting ready to report. But which names should you be banking on? A top analyst joins us next to lay out his picks. Plus, some restaurant stocks getting grilled so far this year. 
grilled. But can, no, I can't take credit for that one. Um, but can strong earnings turn these names around? More on that when this special two-hour edition of Fast Money returns. Welcome back to the special edition of Fast Money. Q2 bank earnings kick off Thursday with J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley reporting before the bell. The stocks have been under pressure for most of the year, but our next guest thinks bad news is priced into the results. Jeff Hart is managing director, senior research analyst at Piper Sandler. Jeff, good to see you. We're, nice we're, just, we're, we're just talking about guidance. What's your sense of how, um, since the quarter closed, what the environment has been like for banks? What do you think their guidance is going to sound like? You know, I think we get two things out of the guidance, and it's kind of what we've been getting a lot of the last recent quarters. One, net interest income, they're probably going to get higher again. I mean, I think the street's generally being conservative on on interest income just kind of to to, to play it safe. And then the second leg is going to be credit. I think we're going to get, you know, no problems in the credit front yet. Unfortunately, what investors are really going to be looking for is a little further look out at the windshield as opposed to through the rearview mirror of what the quarter was like, specifically how bad can credit get and when's it going to get there is going to be one of the big focal points for investors. I'm not, not sure that we're going to get you know much for answers for management yet on that one. Jeff, we talk a lot about the yield curve inverting. Does it make that big of a difference? Is that something you're watching in terms of your forecast for a lot of these names? Uh, not so much so. I mean, what, what the big difference is, is it, you know, it tends to, to you know, forecast a recession and look banks provide the lubrication that makes the economy work so i mean you have to have a back review and if your back review is a tough recession coming banks are going to be a, a tough place to be but we do tend to look a little more at the six-month five-year yield curve as opposed to the standard two-year tenure it gives you a little better kind of picture of, of how it infects the banks and that's flattened quite a bit recently as well but it's still kind of sitting at least in a, in a better shape than that two-year tenure Hey, Jeff, it's Tim. Um, interesting plant over your shoulder, by the way. Um, so uh, the question <laughs> I have you. in terms of a, a breakdown between uh, regional and money center banks, is, is one better prepared to weather this period? And I think from a credit perspective, potential losses and whatnot, I, I think I know the answer. But um, is there a way you would be tactical in this period as you look at the entire sector? Yeah, I mean, as we look at it now, what we know is traditional banking is still really strong, uh, whereas investment banking is kind of a little weaker. We'll see how that plays out going forward. But I, I still tend to, to be in the camp of liking the, the money center banks, right? the, the large cap players, for two reasons. One, they've got scale and it matters more than ever now. So if we are in a tough, really tough economic environment, they've got the scale to defend the bottom line while still investing in things like marketing and technology to kind of uh some market share. The second part though is really what we've seen from credit so far. I mean, especially like credit cards, right? You look at B of A, JP Morgan, and Citigroup, their credit card delinquencies on a monthly basis are still going down. That's not what we've seen for the credit card, you know, industry in general. So I think we're actually um, seeing some of some of the better kind of credit underwriting from some of the big banks, which is a bit unusual for maybe what we've always seen in the past. Jeff, it's Karen. Thanks so much for being on. So to that point about credit, do you think then that they should be proactively conservative and say, all right, even though we're not seeing it right now, let's take some reserves because if the economy slows down, we're going to see a tick up in credit losses? I think so. I mean, I, I would like to see that. I don't know if we will, because it is still somewhat formulaic as to how they have to arrive at the reserves to, to put up. So I think, you know, we, we're kind of hitting, if not hit the end of reserve releases, and that's going to be a matter of 
how much do they build them? But I mean, JP Morgan kind of sets the tone kind of when they come out. And I think if they were to come out and get, you know, start more meaningfully building reserves, that would, that would be viewed positively because it would kind of show that they're prepared. And, you know, the market thinks that's coming. I think as you look forward, one of the pushbacks I get from investors on the space is kind of the consensus estimate still has credit losses, you know, somewhere less than they were in 2018, 2019, pre COVID. I think that. The, the investors thinking out there is it's got to be higher than that, potentially meaningfully higher than that before, uh, you know, it accurately reflected. So unlike kind of you go back to the fourth quarter in January when J.P. Morgan came out and said expenses are going up, the stock got hit pretty hard. I think if they were to lead off with some reserve bills, that might actually be well received by the market. Jeff, good to speak with you. Thank you. Good to be on. Good night. Jeff Hart of Sandler, um, potential upside, he says, for Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley guy. I think yeah, that camp. No, and I think we talked about Goldman Sachs a few weeks ago. They could trade their way out of this quarter. I don't know if the street's going to reward them, but I thought the stock would rally in their earnings. But J.P. Morgan, to me, sets up the best. I'm sure Karen would echo this. 35% peak to trough decline since October. Probably about as cheap as you're going to get in terms of price to book that we've seen in quite some time. And I think you're going to see a relief rally in the name, which may take the broader market higher as well. I mean, to Jeff's point, you probably want to see banks take reserves in this I think so. He did right? make an interesting point, which is they can't just be overly conservative. Right. They are. It's a tightly you know, regulated thing how much you can reserve. But I think it would be good if they could push it a little. Yeah. Steve? Uh, I can't buy banks going into what I think is going to be a recession, whether it's shallow, garden variety, or anything, or, or all of the above. You're going to have less small business loans, less mortgages, less trading profits, less business and, and economic activity. All of them are down 20 to 30 percent year to date, all the majors. Well, the odd thing is Wells Fargo has outperformed on a relative basis. If you're going to buy a bank, I'd buy Wells Fargo, as silly as that sounds coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I was going to say it does sound kind of silly. I mean, Tim, what do you think of that strategy? Well, I, I look at some of the money center banks and I look at their commercial loan growth. But more importantly, I look at higher rates. And, and these banks haven't had rates here in how long? I mean, the profitability that people are not really expecting uh, with companies that that banks that have balance sheets that have never been better, et cetera. So, sure. Um, Jamie Dimon talks about storms. So you have to prepare for storms. You have to put some money aside. But I, I think you have a dynamic where the profitability of the banks is underappreciated here. Um, what kind of recession we have? Not sure. Um, have we priced it in? Not sure. Um, feel like we've priced in a lot. And again, if you look to peak to trough drawdowns, the guy references, um, these are the type that we've seen through much nastier periods. Um, I think we're all highlighting concerns around credit. Uh, and that's the big unknown here. I, I don't think people are going to uh, have banks get away from them. But I think if you're an investor and you're picking some of these names, and I think Bank of America uh, sets up better on valuation. Um, I think you have opportunities here. All right. Up next on this special two-hour edition of Fast Money, we are cooking up some restaurant trades. A look at some beaten-up names that could turn around this earnings season. And you've got questions. We've got answers. The traders will take your tweets. So as we go to break, check out uh, the NASDAQ 100's biggest gainers so far this year. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back. Restaurant stocks kick off earnings next week, and some beaten down names are looking for a turnaround. Kate Rogers has got the details. Hey, Kate. 
Hey, Melissa, it's been a rough first half of the year for the restaurant sector. The hardest hit names, you just saw some of them in the first half. Shake Shack, Wingstop, Sweetgreen, Denny's, and Brinker International. Now, the names that have held up best are fast food names, McDonald's, Yum China, Yum Brands, and restaurant brands. McDonald's in particular did well in the last recession. Inflation and those recession concerns will dominate the storyline this earnings season. We've heard from companies like Chipotle and McDonald's touting their pricing power in earlier quarters, and we'll be watching to see if that power sticks as consumers grapple with record high inflation and may consider cutting back when it comes to dining out. Labor is also still a concern for some companies. Domino's, which was a big pandemic winner, has struggled with drivers in recent quarters, which impacted its ability to deliver pizzas. It's implemented some modest price hikes and has been leaning further into carryout business, which is less labor intensive. And for analysts at Cowan and BTIG, some top picks have been names that cater to a higher income demographic that may be less price sensitive. Names like Chipotle, Starbucks, and Sweetgreen. We'll see how how they do this cycle. One more name to mention here is Wingstop. Its CEO says they're seeing meaningful deflation in wing prices. That's not a term you hear much these days. So that's another name to keep an eye on. Back over right. to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers on the restaurant beat. Uh, Steve Grasso, do you like any of these or do you think everybody's not going to spend because a recession is on the way? <laughs> well, I think, I think if a recession's on the way, you're going to continue to buy meals for your family at McDonald's. Uh, and all of the lower end uh, price points. I think they'll, they'll all be safe. I think the biggest head scratcher for me was the performance on Yum China, where there's a zero COVID policy, but you're allowed to go out to a Yum facility. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand that one, but that one seems to have out, outperformed the entire space. Um, Chipotle was uh, an overshot, so I think there's still more downside room there. Stick to the lower price points. I think it's, why make this more difficult than we have to? If people are going to have less money and higher food costs, stick to where you can get the most bang for your buck. You know, I like a good burrito blowout, Mel, and I'm sure I the people here do. in the 6 o'clock hour come in to understand that as well. Extra and then chicken, Almost no two hours into the show, I mean, you know, for me to say that is probably problematic. I'll say this. CMG has 33%. EPS growth trades at 30 times next year's number. I think this sell from 1900 to 1250 makes it actually a reasonable stock in this environment. Tim, Starbucks. Uh, I tell you what, I, I, I'm, I'm neutral on Starbucks. I'm mm. long the name. Uh, I'm very disappointed on their margin profile. I think their same source sales are, are under some pressure, at least given what they've done to pricing. I, I don't think they have the kind of pricing power that they've they've pushed through here. So we'll, we'll see. I think, you know, McDonald's and CMG have the pricing power. Um, Starbucks is, is I think, um, still operationally got a lot to work through. There's, there's, there are other names in the space that, you know, you look at Shaq and you look at some of the, uh, the pressures that they had on margin. You look at, uh, clearly, it's a, it, it's a more expensive alternative in the fast food space. But I think um, you've righted a lot of those wrongs and some of those growth trends, I think, are worth paying for here. All right. Uh, don't go anywhere. We will be back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're going to take your tweets, but uh, Karen's been digging into Twitter's suit against Elon Musk. Uh, the stock, by the way, is up about a percent still in the after hours. A couple of things caught your eye, Karen. Yes. So one of the things that they really want to get across is that 
uh, Elon Musk really wanted to do as friendly to the seller agreement as he could to entice them to just take his 5420. So they were able to negotiate a lot of things. No financing condition, no due diligence. He had to put up a bunch of money. They were allowed to hire and fire people as they wished. So a lot of the points that he's making to try to get out of this deal, they are refuting it every turn. And I think, as we suspected, this would read pretty well. His side will probably have a decent response. But for right now, they really seem to have, Twitter, the company, seems to really have the upper hand here. I think the stock should be up on this, but that's what I thought yesterday. Right. And I, I think it reads well. Right. I mean, when you think about today's um, regular session uh, gain, right, of 4%, 4 plus percent, plus the right. after hours, 1%. So you said yesterday that your long calls that expire Friday. Friday right. and next Friday. And next Friday. So right. 34 and 35. What of do you, each week. What do you do? Of each week, rather. Um, you know, I think they'll probably be up tomorrow. I'm going to sell some, mm -hmm. primarily because this is what I was here for, that we're going to see the next thing we're going to see is this, right. and that this will read well, and both of those things are happening. Who knows? It's Twitter. It's the craziest thing ever. Who knows what will happen next after that? So the stock mm -hmm. is up. Earnings are expected to be terrible. Mitch. What would you do? I would look at Tesla. I would be with Karen on Twitter for sure. I think the next, you know, 10 to 15 percent should be higher and she's going to do well with these. But how does Tesla, the stock perform? Steve talked about it in both hours. I think Tesla can go lower from here, can continue to sell off. Would you be inclined to short the stock off of the pop into earnings? It's a little too cute by half, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, you've been playing it pretty cute and pretty well so far. I'll, we'll, we'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, uh, Tim, Steve, Guy, Karen, it's been fun hanging out with you for an extra hour. Thank That's you out there for watching you. the special hour of Fast Money. Um, we will part tonight now because the news with Shepard Smith starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.